0: The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination, eat, drink.
1: This week on the podcast, we talk wine from France, wine from Spain, and I get schooled on how to pronounce a wine region in Oregon.
0: One of the ways that the tour companies have you remember that is they say, it's Willamette, damn it. I don't know if that helps.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I won't forget that now. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the
0: birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Couture, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week.
2: Hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with John Myers and Bart Hansen. And as promised, we have Laura Brennan Bissell from Incanu Wines uh, coming to us from Kauai this morning. So it must be, what do you got, nine o'clock in the morning?
3: Yep, nine o'clock. Yep.
1: Beautiful. Start to yep, the day feels there. Feels like 79. Yeah. Yep.
3: Yeah. It's a really, like, we had a few pretty rainy days, but today is, is pretty ridiculously beautiful. So,
2: yeah, it looks pretty nice behind you there.
1: Yeah, Are you a diver at all?
3: I'm not. Um, I'm interested in learning to dive, but I'm more of like, like I'm, I'm getting into stand up paddleboarding like everybody else this year. Um, right. And I, I mean, in living in the gorge, it's very tempting to get into water sports. So I kind of feel like I should take advantage of that. Um, and I'll then just go
1: over to Molokini and snorkel for a while go commune so from, with the sea turtles.
3: Yeah, there's actually there's a lot of spots here you can swim with the turtles too. Um the uh t- today we may go to, to Hideaway Beach and do a little turtle snorkeling, little turtle snork.
0: You know, yeah. um but, the last time the uh, there's that famous story of um Laird Hamilton uh going oh, yeah. to some friends uh house f- for dinner. Um but it was on yep. another island and he just paddleboarded over. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that you can do that i think like at um like between maui and lanai you could probably yeah. do that and like i think
0: that. that was i think that was yeah that's about does. yeah that's about I mean, as that's far the, as you want to go yeah it's
3: yeah. Still quite a paddle boarding it. but
0: yeah. yeah but it's laird hamilton i mean he's like you know he's a super yeah.
3: athlete
1: yep 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 well laura what is the retail situation of wine at your local shops in hawaii
3: So interestingly, there's a spot called Princeville Wine um, near us, which I have gotten into quite a good bit of trouble at. Um, (laughs)
2: Excellent. Laura, is that the one that's on the golf course?
3: It's not. Oh, you're thinking that's PV Eats, which is a newer place. And they also have they have some good wine, too. They Um, have a kick
2: ass selection. Yeah.
3: yeah, it's more like like I would say that that is more kind of like hits all the you know like it hits all the the buttons for you yeah. know depending on the consumer.
0: Yeah,
3: that's um, where <laughs> I feel like princ- Yeah.
0: Does that mean yeah. like anybody can find what they're looking for, or does that mean the um, the the typical distributor is like, oh, there's the Young's Market skew, and there's the um you know there's the KJ. Uh, lineup um, okay. or does it have some esoteric stuff
3: oh yeah no i mean there's like you know they have like you know champagne Joffrey rose and okay. they have they have a pretty like cool small bordeaux selection um they have a lot of kermit stuff both places have a lot of kermit so kermit's okay. carried through southern here So that's like the golden ticket as far as wine here for the most part is you can find some really cush Kermit stuff. And and stuff that like through allocation, you know, like for example, I bought a bottle of Jamais Cote Roti yeah. because okay. 2016 is my daughter's birth year and like i found that just sitting on a shelf here which is it's not gonna happen where we are
0: right
4: that's,
3: um,
0: yeah, you know. that's yeah that's yeah all. like
3: like back vintage <laughs> back vintage Contarelli, like val Puchella, just like hanging out you know um so yeah it's uh it's a good selection um but it's also you know, I'm more I'm more geared towards drinking rum when I'm on islands. I mean, I right. do I do I have drank some wine here, but I'm I'm trying to stick with you know trying different Hawaiian rums.
2: Yeah, I find that mai tais are good for breakfast. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that's actually so. That's the other kind of funny thing about being in Hawaii right now is I'm I'm also in ketosis, so I like can't drink <laughs> fruity cocktails or okay. eat sugary fruit, which is. It's fine. I mean, I, you know, I'm perfectly happy to eat lots of meat and, and vegetables wherever I am, but it, but it is, it does feel a bit ironic doing that in Hawaii, you know, where yeah. there's beautiful guavas and mangoes. But not.
2: Well, you also have wild boar though.
3: You do. And it's yeah. delicious. There's a lot of yeah. grass fed beef here too, actually. Um, yeah. Like yeah. Hawaii in particular, I feel like there's a big insurgence of small regenerative farmers popping up and, and it's really exciting to see that.
1: Isn't that nice, Laura?
3: I mean, the whole
1: regenerative movement and you believe in it.
3: Oh, I absolutely believe in it. I mean, I don't think that it's like practical for the amount of human beings that are on the planet, but you know, it doesn't, um, I don't think it's impossible. And I definitely think that no matter what, it's the way that we need to, to progress. (laughs)
0: can 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 we i mean i feel like we've been talking for like an hour we're so deep in just a conversation <laughs> can we actually talk a little bit about um you and your background and how we got here how maybe brian should do a you know proper introduction or something well no <laughs> let me just say that
2: laura periodically will stay at the fairmont and so i i think the first time we met i remember hers i remember which table even that she was sitting at which is no longer a table since everything has been moved around so much um, but you know, you can tell when someone's into wine and I can tell that she was into wine and at the time I was actually acting as the psalm for the restaurant. So you know, my only job is to is to talk about wine and sell wine. So it was nice to have someone to chat with and I think she ordered a I think it was lamb, wasn't it, Laura? You had some <laughs> you had a nice I ordered piece of the lamb.
3: lamb for two.
4: It yeah. was, it was the
3: lamb for two. <laughs> yeah. right? And I remember yeah. I was like sitting there by myself into the server. I was like, I'll have the lamb for two. And he like, kind of, and I was just like, it's okay. Like, just, like it's fine. I'm okay. And,
2: and she has um, come back every once in a while. I think, and we'll get into this probably because she's been going back and forth between Sonoma and Washington. But, um yep. and, and I have to say that I felt bad the last time she came in, because at that point I wasn't the SOM anymore. I was sort of, I was, cabana boy, food runner, mm-hmm. restaurant manager, bartender. So I didn't really have enough, I didn't have the time that I wanted to spend with her and her friend when they came in. So I felt bad about that, but it's funny. Oh no, now, no
3: it's fine. You're you know, the guy who has a job, which is important.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and you know, unfortunately I spend more time thinking about propane tanks than I do about um, 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 bougelet or-,
3: <laughs> or so, <laughs> sound, Sounds That's like you're sucks, a winemaker. <laughs>
2: So, so Laura, you know, has, has a brand um, in Kanu. And so she was nice enough to, you know, I think I actually, what happened is she had dropped off bottles for me. And I think it was during the, I don't know if it was during the closure or right before, but I never got them. So the last time she was in, you know, she was like, how were the wines? And I said, what wines? She was nice enough to come back a couple of days later and drop off a bottle of the cab, the Merlot and the, um, and the Shannon. So I, quickly drank the Shannon that was gone within a matter of hours <laughs> of me leaving the restaurant. And then I gave Bart the, uh, Merlot, which Esther Mobley um, just put on her 12 wines that shaped 2020. So that was nice. We, we talked about that a little bit, uh, in, um, I think two weeks ago, we did a show about all the, the top lists of the year. And so we nice. talked about you briefly. Um, and then I gave Sam the cab, but Sam unfortunately can't join us today. And, um,
0: oh, no. but, and I think, and he's probably misplaced the cab. So, We'll <laughs> have to find it in his cellar, and we'll drink it's in our his
2: stuff. I know it's in his cellar. It was one day when I was working there. I brought it in and gave it to him because so I, I think Laura, you had mentioned that maybe you had done some sort of seminar or symposium with Phil, something maybe over in Oakland. Yeah,
3: yep. Phil tasted that wine when it was still in barrel.
2: Okay. And, it, um, yeah. How did you guys meet?
3: Um, I'm, I'm just Phil. Phil is Sam's dad, right? I always get mm-hmm. the two older. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. So I met Phil. Um, it was a, uh, it was like a symposium at Gunlock Bonshu for people making cool Cabernet Sauvignon. And exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, and I, one of the longest vineyards I've been working with, it actually used to be connected to the Merlot vineyard of the Merlot that you're drinking. Um, and uh, it's like a 90% Plus, probably at this point, year old vineyard of Cabsov in Sonoma Carneros. Um, so, I mean, they're heavily diseased and going to make a really light wine anyway, but the Carneros influence, like, definitely, um, like, that shaped my early winemaking. I mean, Carneros is the first region I worked with um, for a few vintages. And I Laura, well,
0: it's could you be, could you be kind of specific where that vineyard is?
3: Uh, it's on Burndale Road. Right there um, at the, yeah. is
0: it at the, it, is that a T where a smaller road comes in on, on Burndale?
3: Yep. Yep. Just, um, if you're headed away from Napa on the right past where, um, yeah. the diner used to be, whatever it is right. called now.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, okay. uh, Bart, but a lot that? of it, Let's a lot of it's down. been
3: pulled up at this point. I mean, the, like the original vintages of that were, you know, almost all, um, or It wasn't, some of it was like 40 year old, but most of it was like the 90 year old vines. Was
0: Um, that, was that, was or still owned by two women?
3: It was or it is owned by a woman. And okay. Technically was owned by two women before there was a divorce. Okay.
0: Okay. So I met them when they first bought the property. Um, Okay. uh, uh my realtor, the person who sold us our house sold them that and she put us into contact because they were looking for someone to you know kind of take over the vineyard and buy the grapes and stuff and um, so sure. yeah I, that that's a, that's a very cool location and yeah it, without a doubt man that's a cool location for both cab and well, maybe not so mm-hmm. much for Merlot, but for Cab. Well, anyway, I didn't no, I mean, to,
3: to be honest, I, I think that it's like the Merlot you're drinking right now is from that little hillside right there. Yeah, um, yeah. So that property, um, that property, she owned the Cab, but the Merlot hillside she leased. And then somebody else has bought that property now. I mean, that, that whole vineyard situation for me, though, like if I had like a Helen of Troy and my winemaking life, it is that fucking vineyard. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's just been this, like, you know, tumultuous relationship, um, kind of, you know, can I get the fruit, can I not get the fruit type of situation? But, I, but that being said, I am grateful to have worked with Cool Climate Bordeaux Varietals early in my winemaking career, because I feel like, contrary to a lot of people who entered wine at the same time as me, I was... I was compelled to make those varietals like i wanted to make the expression of those wines that i desired um which wasn't really the thing you know it wasn't Mm -hmm. like like when i started making wine it was like carbonic quinoa's you know like whole cluster carignan you know like what whites and reds can you mix together you know nobody was like i want to make very quiet delicate like super focused Bordeaux varietal wine, you know, it was not cool. Um, and I think that Carneros was, you know, kind of like what, like getting to work with Carneros fruit was kind of like what held my hand in the dark and moved me in that direction. Yeah,
1: what, that's cool. What uh, is the number one impact on your wine that you see growing a Merlot in Carneros soil? What's the number one thing it impacts?
3: Um, I mean, I think that it has to do with the diurnal shift of Carneros um, and that Carneros has like those really cool foggy mornings, um, you know, like the, the nautical influence. Um, and then the fog burns off, you know, mid morning, early afternoon. And it really and does get, get
1: more than the coastal fog because it's got the bay there.
3: Yeah, it just kind of sits there. So, so I mean, for me, it's always been kind of funny that it's like such a Pinot Noir and Chardonnay area. Like Pinot Noir in particular, mm. like it's too wet and it's too hot. You know, like the fog is too heavy. So it's like, you know, Pinot Noir, which is particularly prone to mildew and whatnot. Like Carneros is like a, a mildew factory. Um, <laughs> well, and Bordeaux here, yeah. varietals are much more capable of dealing with that.
0: And you know, Merlot's always done well in, in Carneros. I mean, the San Giacomo's have that block that people have made really nice wines out of. And it don't do you think that the heavy kind of heavy simple for lack of a better term, soils also, I mean Merlot does well in crappy soils. Oh
3: yeah. No, um, I mean that's I mean that explains, you know, the the right bank, right? Um right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Merlot, like it's red clay loam, it's kind of like gumbo soils. I've heard it called, um, you know, there's a little bit of everything in there. Um, and it, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the heaviness of the soil increases the kind of the volume of the wine I make, I've made Merlot now from several different places. And, um, you know, you can really like, like I make, Merlot from the Sierra foothills and you can really like get the granite influence there like there's more of like a you know like a minerally kind of stony quality but you still get the merlot typical fruit um as where in Carneros it's like always there's this like not at all in a syrupy sort of way but there's always this like tiny hint of like a cherry cola um, which I've definitely gotten in right bank Bordeaux wines as well, um, and and that I think has to do with the typicity of the soil.
0: My my wife last night when we opened this, she got a lot of maraschino cherry out of it, mm-hmm. which she just loves um, or loved cool. with it. To me, it was really you know it's really bright. Um, it's got nice acid that really makes it stand up and and kind of you know show itself um, really beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. And I think the other thing, and this is a conversation sh- we had, she says um, she always thinks still as Merlot as being a blender and, and uh-huh. I, and, and, and she says, but it's not very Cabernet like, and I always have to remind her Merlot's not Cabernet, you know, and it's used to yeah. blend with Cabernet for a specific reason. Um, but this is, a this is what Merlot kind of should be like, I think. You know, it's bright fruit. I mean,
3: I think that Malbec and, you know, uh, Petit Syrah, even though I, like, have no place for Petite Syrah, that's unfortunately, I, I, if, if there was one grape I had to vote the island, it would be Petite Syrah, unfortunately, which I'm sad to say because I know that many people love it. Um, and, um, you know, petit Verdot, like, I understand when people disassociate and say those are blender grapes um but for me merlot is like merlot is a wine like merlot is a grape that you blend those things with to enhance you know like i don't understand like to me to say merlot a blender grape would be to say that cabernet sauvignon is a blender grape because merlot is the queen and cabernet sauvignon is the king of bordeaux like and and you use the other tools to enhance those varietals, you don't use that varietal to to enhance something else, unless you're talking about right bank versus left bank. Then you know Merlot maybe holding the hand of Cabernet Sauvignon, or Cabernet Sauvignon maybe holding the hand of Merlot, or usually Cabernet Franc is pretty high up in that menagerie as well. Um, you know, and if we're talking about Bordeaux style wines, I would say yes, Cabernet Franc would also be a blending grape because of what it offers you know, it doesn't ripen as well as the other two. But then if we're talking about like Loire style wines, well, obviously Cabernet uh, Franc it can be its own star. But even, you know, the, the deep irony in that is still, even in the best Cabernet Francs, you know, the best Samour and stuff like that, there's a lot of Cab Sauve. So it's yeah. like I, Merlot and Cab Sauve, and then this feels so, um, you know, in the land of wine merlot and kabsov like can they're they can be by themselves and there's there's a hierarchy there to a certain degree for me um you know of what what can make a really compelling wine by itself like nebbiolo can do that um and nebbiolo can do that but it can also be enlightened by something else um or Syrah can make a really compelling wine by itself, but as we know, there's plenty of places where they embellish that Syrah a little bit with, you know, some, you know, softer tannins. But I, I don't, I don't know. But to like Merlot, I just it's not to me. It's just like, like in 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 the the labyrinth of wine in my head. Like I don't, I don't look at it as a blending grape. Um, yeah. That being said, there's very few wines I make where there's not like two percent of something else in them and I don't put that on my label because I feel like it's kind of arbitrary and I don't even uh, to be honest I don't even take notes as far as that's concerned I mean when I'm when I'm you know getting everything ready for bottling if I taste a wine and I'm like god it just needs that like tiny little something you know I, I I I add it and I don't and and I don't feel like I'm like fibbing by doing that i'm just making beautiful wine as best i can
0: yeah joe (laughs) my um i worked for the benzigers for uh quite a while and joe benziger used to like to mess with his blends until just before it went into the bottle and he was the same way he said if if anything was ever said he'd just go i'm trying to make the best wine i possibly can and and, yeah that's your job as a
3: winemaker. you're not a priest
0: (laughs) right and i'm not going to be satisfied (laughs) you know, ever with it, but whatever I can do, you know, I'm going to do so.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I mean, I, I joke, I joke with another friend of mine who also makes wine that like being a winemaker is having like an old keg of Syrah laying around at all times.
1: (laughs) Well, it is his right. I don't
3: even make Syrah, but it
1: is, it is the winemaker's right to, to, you know, take what they want and, and mix it how they want even right down to the very end.
3: I mean, you're not drinking like, like, I, I love those academic wines. Like I feel like, you know, back to, to Barolo, like there are some producers there, some producers in chateauneuf du pop, for example, who like do like micro bottlings of their blending grapes, you know, where you can drink those wines and it's like, they're interesting and they, and they can be good, but they're like Vondetta, they're, they're not the wine that that person is like on their vision quest helmet to make. Um, but you can see, you know, like why, I don't know why you have a pair of needle nose pliers in your toolbox. You know, you're not going to use it all the time, but, or very often, but it's like, it makes sense in, in context. Um, and I kind of, you know, I feel like wine is, it's like you're painting a house, basically. Like, or you're, you're a mechanic, like, making wine. And there's little things you can do. Sometimes you tune the engine just right, or you, like, add the right color on the shutter or something, you know. But it's not, like, I don't view making wine as, like, this puritanical you know, um, kind of forensic report right to a certain you know, I, I think that there are wines that can be that. I mean, Pinot Noir to me is absolutely a forensic report grape and one that I would never consider blending unless it was already blended in the field um, because of that. but it's just like it's not get so uptight about all of it and at the end of the day what do we all want to do we want to drink a good glass of wine and you know as long as you're respecting the earth and respecting the fruit and respecting the fermentation and the elevage and all of those things what you do to get to the end of the road of a beautiful compelling glass of wine that has energy i don't care (laughs) like, I'm not the judge. I don't want to be, you know, I just want to enjoy wine and make wine that hopefully other people enjoy for that same reason.
1: Well, how did you feel being uh, put on the list from uh, Esther, the top 12 influential wines of 2020? (laughs) That's quite an honor. How did you feel?
3: Oh man. I mean, I, I, any anything that Esther ever has to say about my wines or how they're made is an absolute honor. I think she is a fantastic writer. I think she's a fantastic person. I think she has a phenomenal palette. I like that she goes above and beyond kind of trying to find like what's cool but actually finds like what's good and isn't um. I don't know. I mean, I, I like Esther because I think that she's just not about any bullshit. And yeah. so having her mention my wine and I would say m- more having her mention it the way that she did was a giant honor. And I think if anything, I haven't really metabolized like how to approach that. You know, obviously I want to say thank you to her, but I don't want to say it in a way where I'm like thanks for writing about my wine esther you know like <laughs> like you know I I think that it's more like I want to say thank you for seeing me you know and for seeing what I'm trying to do as a farmer and as a winemaker and like that I'm looking at a long-term trajectory in our industry and not just, you know, trying to land on wine lists, I mean, like, or, you know, on on top lists or get points or anything. I mean, I've never sent a single wine in to be rated in my winemaking career. Um, I think that, you know, at this point, you know, as I pivot to making, you know, higher end, higher value wines, I may consider doing that, but it's just never really been the point for me.
4: Don't know, do and, it. and
3: I don't even know if it, yeah I probably won't I, you you know what I probably won't end up doing it because that would require me like putting a bottle of wine in the mail well, what um, do you think
1: what do you or, think it was about this particular bottle that she had well John I don't th- ended I think up on the influential list
2: John I think it, it might have had to it I think it had more to do with Laura than it had to do with that specific wine if you take it in context what Laura I, I what
3: I don't know about that. Actually, I think that specific bottle of wine is pretty beautiful. Well, no, I'm not saying
2: that. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I think it. She was talking about you as a person and being a winemaker as a whole, not just that specific wine that she was highlighting. But I think it was more of the way you move in the wine industry is sort of how why she was um, shining a light on you.
3: Yeah, I could see that. I can see that. I mean, I I do like I do think that that. That bottle of Carneros Merlot deeply tells a story about how I feel about wine, though. Um, you know, I think that that wine is is very soulful and it's very intentional. Um, but I do, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, Esther and I had a conversation recently about my decision to move up to Washington and start a project up there, and you know, how that was largely influenced by climate change and also, you know, not having to deal with the rat race of Napa anymore. Um, and the longer I'm up there, the more I kind of feel my desire to have tentacles, like honestly, in, in wine in Napa and Sonoma, it moves away. And, and really the only thing that's keeping me there is one tiny little vineyard that um, Debbie Zieglebaum <laughs> hoisted upon me um, before she passed away. And then um, my love of California Bordeaux varietal wine.
2: Well, Laura, let's talk about, I mean, can we go back a a little ways? Because I don't think you have a traditional background in wine. I know, I think maybe your journey, talk about how maybe it was started in Oakland by a man named Yino, who, you know, worked at a wine shop that sort of turned you on.
3: I have the unstable connection.
2: Okay, hold
3: on. Hold- oh, I think, so you just broke up, um, but yeah. I think you're asking me about um, the person who I used to talk to who worked at a wine shop early in my wine drinking career. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, so interestingly, I actually, like that happened Perry, Perry at Vino uh, okay. on uh, on the, yeah. um, Uh, Piedmont Avenue was like the only nice person who worked at a wine shop to me I mean when I started becoming interested in wine I mean I was more a part of like the like you know kind of punk experimental like black metal scene in the Bay Area and did not look like your average wine consumer um, uh, or did not present as such would maybe be better spoken and I would go into, you know, wine shops that now sell tons of my wine and people would say things to me like the $10 wines are up front or, you know, kind of follow me around the store. Like I was going to steal something. And Perry was so nice to me. And he noticed that I started buying um, stuff from, you know, the Rhone and, and he would, you know, like point me, you know, after I came in a few times, and was doing that, you know, he'd talk to me about, what I thought about the wine and, you know, point me in the direction of like, oh, you know, try this wine from Lorac and stuff, you know, at that point, you know, little did I know I was buying a lot of like Charles Neal stuff and, you know, probably some bone stuff and, you know, even into like Louis Dresner, probably with some, you know, Texier, but I just, I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I just kind of was, you know, like popping around, um, you know, through his, his wine selection. Um, and at that time too, so prior to that, um, I had made friends with a, a a real life winemaker, um, who was a kosher winemaker and now a winemaker at covenant. Um, and he was actually the person who probably in the beginning, beginning, like really opened my eyes to, um, to, you know, like what, what real wine was, um, and I mean, there was there's all sorts of funny little little things like that, like different people in my life. Like I lived in a warehouse in West Oakland and you know, one of my roommates happened to be on like the Kermit Lynch Wine Club, and you know, every once in a while would open, you know, a nice bottle of wine with me. Or um, I was in the bicycle industry and there's an architect named David Baker um, in San Francisco. Who I kind of became friends with through advocacy work I was doing, and you know, we'd go for a ride and go out to lunch at you know Pizzetta and like have a Tanat, you know, and it just like there were fortunately enough people I was kind of bumping into in life that um, that I started to get exposed in a real way, um, and then I I moved to Barcelona because I was going to ride my bike around Europe and find somebody to teach me to make wine and ended up just getting to Barcelona and not having enough money to really do something like that and met met a man in Barcelona and stayed there for a while but you know fortunately he was really into food and wine too so that was kind of like our hobby is we went out to really good restaurants and we drank beautiful wine and I made friends, with the woman who ran a wine shop there, and she was super into like supernatural wine, and um, and that's kind of how I was indoctrinated, you know, with these lower intervention ideas, I guess. And you know, I think that I started on the, you know, years and years and years ago on the very extreme pendulum of like. I will not use any sulfur, you know, everything must be as though it had fallen from the vine, blah, 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 you know, and then fortunately, you know, you know, after doing an internship at Unti, did an internship with Matthiason. and, you know, Steve kind of like sat me down one day, and he's like, what type of wine do you want to (laughs) make, and I was like, well, of course, good wine that I want to drink, and he was, you know, like, well, think about that, you know, and kind of moved me into the direction of, focusing on making beautiful wine, not making a statement or like making a assertion as to like what my philosophy is, that that's not really what it's about.
2: And you know, talking about that, talk about your use of sulfur and especially pre-bottling and what your, what your oh. philosophy is.
3: Um, I don't care at all about sulfur um but i think that in not caring about sulfur i don't use a lot of it either um i well, pretty well, much well yeah you're gonna have to explain will, that one a little more <laughs> that's what that's that's what i'm that's what i'm doing yeah, um <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> I uh, I use 20 parts per million at Crush pretty much prescriptively um, and that is if, if I use sulfur prescriptively anywhere that's where I do it. Um, that's a very low dose as we all probably know. Um, but to me that dose is basically um, an attempt at kind of knocking back some of the more rogue yeast that may be hanging around and you know, just letting Saccharomyces do its thing. Uh, usually takes about three or four days for you know all of the kind of um like anything that smells acetic or fully kind of blows off clean and saccharomyces takes over it doesn't matter the hand um and then i typically have a clean ferment because i added that teeny tiny itty bitty little bit of sulfur and you know avoid high va and all of this awful fermentation um and I keep my wine about as topped as I possibly can as it goes through mallow and barrel. Um, and once mallow lactic is finished, I check my pH and you know I usually add probably around 22 bits per million. Um, and with some of my wines in particular, the stuff with really low pH that I bottle early, that's it. I don't have to add any more sulfur because when it comes time to bottle I still have a free sulfur between like three and 10 PPM, you know, a total around 20 and it's fine. Um, Other wines, you know, with a higher pH um, you know, I'll check periodically. And if the free sulfur, you know, starts to get low, I'll add a little bit more. Um, But I actually don't like adding sulfur right before bottling. And I'll only do it if I have to If my sulfur is below like two free or something. I'll, I'll add a tiny little bit, or if it's a wine I'm planning on aging a little bit longer, you know, I'll try and bottle it with, you know, five to 10 free. Um, and I really think that's all it needs. Um,
0: I mean, that, I, that sulfur, I, that, I was just to say that sulfur addition at the last minute. And, and especially if it's higher, it really seems to stunt the wine, you know, whereas, yeah, of course, ooh.
3: I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest, the biggest kind of, um, the biggest faux pas, as far as I'm concerned to a lot of, um, quote, natural wineries is they're like, we don't add sulfur until right before bottling. And to me, that's like the stupidest time to make your dosage of sulfur. It's, you know, you're just, the wine has never been introduced to it. It doesn't know what it, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm gonna shock you and then put you in a bottle. Ah, you know, and the wine panics and you you don't know how that wine's going to react. Maybe that wine's gonna get super productive. You know, maybe it's gonna shut down entirely. Maybe it's gonna completely change the profile of the wine. And how long is it going to take? You don't fucking know. There's nothing you can do about it because it's already in a bottle. So I don't enjoy that concept. To me, sulfur, the ideal, sulfur right after mallow, then it's safe in barrel. You don't have to worry about it as much. And, you know, if you never have to sulfur again, great. But if you do have to sulfur again, just a little bit, you know, even if it's right before bottling, that tiny little bit's usually not going to throw it off because it knows sulfur already. I mean, you know, um, but what, and
0: what sort of barrel aging are you typically at? Are you, are are you uh, pretty, you know, a year, year and a half max?
3: Uh, Depends on the wine. Um, You know, a a lot of my like La La lu stuff is six months, you know, so they're early wines. Um, And then I usually bottle my like like Kitsune or like kind of middle level wines and white wines after a year. Um, and then I have, you know, like my Merlot and Cab Sauv and stuff like that. I over-vintage around 18 months. Uh,
2: we might've lost her for a second there. 18 is being
3: over-vintage right now, except for my early. No, Everything from 2019 um, is, it, with the exception of like my La La Lou wines, is being over-vintaged at this point. Um, a because I think 2019 is it really was a good vintage and can take it um, and B because 2020 was just such a fucking shittier. I didn't really want to schedule a bottling I didn't want to deal with that so I'll probably bottle everything from 2019 that I have left which is my like Alaric Cabsov my Kitsune my uh, um, Shannon I'll probably bottle all of those in March so it'll be around 18 months. You know, if I can't get a March date, I'll do it in April and whatever. Right. Um, so, and with my Washington stuff, which is very high acid, very intense white wine. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's vintage dependent, you know, like 18 um, was a pretty lush vintage. So that was a year as were 19, it was a cold, wet, intense, like very very high acid vintage, so I plan on bottling that all at 18 months. But I'm going to taste it again soon and really make sure it's ready.
2: Okay, now you 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 super got my attention with high acid whites. So what yeah. are what are you playing around with up there? And you're in Walla Walla, I believe.
3: No no no, I'm in the Columbia Gorge. You're in, okay. So you're in Columbia completely Gorge. different climate. Okay. Um, so I'm at 1,400 feet elevation on the Columbia River, about an hour east of Portland. Do you know where Hayu is?
2: No. Okay. Yes. Yeah. John, so, John does. Okay.
3: Uh, I'm like Beautiful. right across the river from Hayu. Yeah, yeah. Hayu's on the Hood River side. It's a bit warmer over there, um, and I'm on the Washington side. Like volcanic clay loam soils. I mean, mainly volcanic basalt. Um, Everything is dry farmed. It's extremely windy. Like I have like a thirty-five degree, forty degree sometimes diurnal shift. Oh, Um, you know we get we can get three feet of snow in the winter. It's a it's a very 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 intense growing climate. But because of that, it the wines are just like
1: it's very wild, isn't it? It just seems it is wild. wild on that gorge.
3: Yeah. I mean, the gorge is a pow- It's a powerful place, like everything about it. Um, and I, I love it. I mean, I, I love powerful white wines. Like I love white wines that have acid and intention, but can also like have a delicate quality to them. And I feel like this is like my dream place to make wine. Um, because I I can I can express all of those things,
1: Brian. That's your kind of place, man. Really? Oh, I
2: know, I know, and, and that's, I what, <laughs> that's of course why I grabbed did Shannon. I,
3: oh sure, did I? I think I gave. Did I give you a shiner like in a like a hawk?
2: Shiner? No, no,
3: no. Oh okay. Oh dang! I'll give you one the next time I see you. Okay. Yeah, I have eighteen Pinot Green bottle, and I mean, and it's like the closest thing it kind of leans itself to is um you know like the there's like the munchberg like volcanic um plot in uh, Alsace. hmm like there's some of that quality to it um and and you get that like like for some reason volcanic soils can sometimes have this like like all i can the only thing like I can viscerally think of to explain it is like, you know, like how like white sheet, like white sheets in the wind kind of smell like that kind of like fresh laundry smell. Um, like the wines have that like in such a strong way. And that's like. Line dried. Like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, mine, yeah, mine line dried. Yeah. Line dried. Exactly. Well, but it's I'm, like, it's, but it's petrichor. Like, it's like an example yes, of, it's like right. not straight petrichor, it's, you know, yeah. But it is a. I think it is. It is a byproduct of petrocore.
1: There is such a chemical reaction in in the environment up there. It's just perfectly. Mm. It it's well balanced and it's got everything to it. It's a very raw situation. Lots of uh, powerful things going on up there. It's very cool.
3: Oh, it's. I mean,
1: have you ever done uh, any uh, water sports on that? river
3: um i'm learning to paddleboard um which is you know also conducive to being in hawaii um i do intend to learn to windsurf or or kite surf or both you know we've only been up there for a year and change now and i have a just turned three-year-old and a four-year-old um so getting out and doing those things is a little difficult yet but we're on the way
1: i'm sure Um, they enjoy hawaii
3: Oh my gosh, they they love it here. My daughter was trying to convince me to move here yesterday and I was like, they could only grow grapes, kid.
2: <laughs> yeah, John, um, I always said when I lived in Hawaii that kids and dogs have the best life in Hawaii because there's just- I've you never
3: can... seen happier dogs. I, I know. completely agree.
2: <laughs> I mean, you just turn them loose and they don't know what to do. There's so much space and they can run around at the beach and I mean, and it's all free. It's all it's just- It's
1: all okay, Yeah.
2: yeah
3: especially right now i mean like that was like we originally like we we go to maui the first two weeks of january that's like our thing um and then we like i was supposed to take my kids to my friend's horse farm in georgia in december and i was just like there's no fucking way i'm getting on a plane and going to the south (laughs) of all places right now um (laughs) And, but I was like, "But I need to do something because this year sucked." And, um, and I just like, "How is at Hawaii husband? on like, that? Take...
1: How is Hawaii?"
3: There, there's like no, there's like no COVID on Hawaii. Kauai shut down really early, um, and only for a small window, people were allowed to get the test and come in, which is when we came in. Do and now people, they're back um, to ten day quarantine.
0: To say, are are people being nice to you?
3: um I only had like a tiny tiny bit of like oh are you a COVID refugee and of course it's from like white ladies from Marin who (laughs) came here in fucking July you know (laughs) instead of now you know it's just like oh who can I judge you know or like old white dudes like it's not any Hawaiians like anybody who's from here is super fucking cool usually you know like they're not trying to be your best friend the minute they meet you but what I've noticed about like, the culture here is that, and I've had this explained to me, like, because I was telling one of my girlfriends from, who, like, grew up here, that I was having this experience of, like, you know, getting kind of hated on a little bit by, like, white people, but anybody who's from here is super cool, and she's, like, well, you're friendly, and in Hawaiian culture, it's, like, if somebody, if you meet a new person, like, and they're, like, there's, there is an openness, but, like, you have to show that you have it, too, Um, and I feel like that, whether that's true or not, like I feel like that's been my experience here. You know, um, like I'll I'll talk to somebody at the park. You know, I'll chat up the lady giving us ice cream. You know, for my kids, yeah. you know, yeah, at the ice good. cream shop, and and that's been wonderful. I mean, like I have a nice relationship with the people who I run into on a daily basis here, and you know, we've made a lot of friends, and we're probably going to come back here for the rest of January until the rest of the world becomes a less insane place.
1: Do you um, ever get up country on Maui?
3: Oh, on Maui. Well, I'm on Kauai right now, but in you Maui going back to Maui? Yeah, you mean you mean like like Hana?
4: No, like pae-
1: Makawao, is this little community paea. Is- well, no, John- oh, paella.
3: Yeah, 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 sure. No, I She's mean I'm a cool I'm spot. I'm pae is beautiful um uh yeah i mean a little bit but again it's like part of the reason that we've been going to maui for the last few years is because we have two little kids um and i hate to say it but like lahaina and kanapali are just like so easy i mean more than anything living in the pacific northwest we want the beach but we also just want the vitamin d yeah you know (laughs) and and i think that like a lot of the more experimental you know travel and hiking and road trips and stuff like that. Um that's you know, it's gonna have to wait a tiny bit longer, but we'll get there, you know. Yeah,
2: you no, know, John, I was thinking more um, of um Kula and Ulapalakua up there on Maui where they actually do have a winery. I I oh. <laughs> I've I've never been brave enough
3: to try the Hawaii wine.
2: You know, it's it it started off when I lived there was like 1999, and they just had one grape. They were doing a white, a red, and sparkling, all using the same grape. But I think they got a new vineyard manager, and who's trying to figure out, you know, what grows along their their parallel. Um, And but but of course, everyone knows them for the pineapple wine that you see in the ABC store.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I, I. Of they, you know, honestly, I bet if there's anywhere you could grow really good wine grapes in Hawaii, it's probably in Waimea Park in in Kauai. Mm. Like, they can grow pears and apples and stuff like that here. Um, like it's a really intense microclimate. Um, you know, I I imagine if you were to bring over uh, like aglianico or something, you could probably make a really good one here. But thank god nobody's planting grapes here. Um, yeah. I think that Hawaii is such a, like, it's such a special place. And there's, like, um, there's so many amazing heirloom varietals, you know, of, like, native Hawaiian seed that people are researching. Um, and there's so much you can do with those plants. Like, you know, obviously, as a winemaker, anywhere I go, I'm like, could you plant grapes here? But, like, I never want to do that here. Like, I just, to me, it's just, like, a why. Like, there's there's so much abundance here already Um, and yeah I just I think that it's like such a special place um, that's been ravaged excessively at this point and there's been a lot of invasive even palms and stuff brought over like I, I love that part of like what's happening with regenerative farming here is people are bringing back these like native varieties
2: yeah, because it was um, sort of monoculture for a while when you're talking about pineapples. I mean, that was like, that was the oh, thing. Oh,
3: Lanai was Pineapple Island. It was Dole Island. Yeah. 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 Um, so you, you, know, you mentioned
0: some. Sorry, go ahead.
3: No, 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 it's fine.
0: I was just saying, you mentioned something earlier about um, uh, distilling. Um, and ah. uh, so one, <laughs> I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about that project? And are there like custom distilling spots in Hawaii? Or have you forged a no. friendship or something here?
3: There's, um, I mean, this, this uh, acquisition of, of, you know, understanding rum has been a, uh, a th- it's been something I've been interested in for a while now. Like, I really love, um, like, I really love, like, the Haitian clarin rums, you know, I like the, the rum from the south of Mexico, I, some cachasas are really compelling to me. Um, and it's because to me, like, like, like agricole sugarcane rum is like so fucking terroir specific. It's incredible. And there's like these, you know, there's tons of different varieties of sugarcane too. And I'm just kind of fascinated by like what type of, you know, like intense specific beverage you could make, like kind of in the way that people do with mezcal. But the difference is that they smoke mezcal, so no matter what, even though you have these incredible senses of terroir and you know typicity of 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 agave, there's still the smokiness. It's kind of like Scotch, yeah. Um, you know where they're putting it in a barrel. I mean, Scotch maybe wouldn't Scotch. You know, the smokiness is usually from the peat, which is a you know a terroir thing. But you know, like a bourbon, for example, they always put in a new oak barrel, so it's like the corn isn't really doing much. It's just like for the rye, it's just, you know, whatever, however they're aging, the it, they're aging it in the vessel. Exactly. So, you know, in a or in agave, it's usually smoked. So you get the smokiness. I mean, I guess tequila, Jalisco, you could probably nerd out a little bit there, but white rum is like, it's pure, you know? And what I've noticed is like, you really, um, you can really tell a difference between like, you know, the spring summer harvest or the winter harvest, um, you know, and the way the cane tastes and then finding out that there's like 40 plus, God knows how many native sugarcane varieties in Hawaii that are like, you know, co Hawaiian varieties that came over with the um, Tahitians like that as a winemaker, as anybody who enjoys you know, looking, looking at the tiny little details of things is fascinating to me. So
2: I never yes, realized I am, that. I always just think of sugarcane yeah. as sugarcane. I never realized right. that there was different.
3: Yeah, of course.
0: That's just bizarre. That most people
3: ask you how you make rosé. Like, is there a rosé grape? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. So is there, um, a,
0: is there an artisan um, rum um, culture going on in Hawaii? Or is that something that... A cop- that Go ahead.
3: There's a couple distilleries um, that are on the right track. Um, you know, they're making like agricultural Hawaiian rum. So white sugarcane rum. Um, there's no um, emphasis on farming or anything, uh, which is kind of, to me, dangerous. Because if you're using any herbicides or pesticides and farming sugarcane, um Sugarcane is, like, very attached to water. So you're, like, mm. sending out tons of shit into the environment. Yeah. Um, but it's also, like, a very easy crop to grow here because you don't, you know, you don't have to water things right. for most of the year. Um, in, in and in a lot of places, you could, for all intents and purposes, like, dry farm sugarcane because there's enough water there anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's what interests me about it. I mean, a it's just a spirit I really fucking love. Like a good a good rum to me has so many complexities and this like wild kind of savage smell um that's almost like like it reminds me why I fell in love with wine. Um there's just this kind of like you know when you drink a wine and it's like it's almost like um like it like hypnotizes you like you just want to keep smelling it and drinking it like the good way rum does that to me um and that's kind of i mean that this isn't like a deep business venture at this point um it's it's just something i want to experiment with um and i keep like ending up you know i feel like the the world sometimes just you you tell the world what you want, and the world says yes or no by opening doors or closing them. And and this is one where the world's like opening the doors, and there's like a vortex pulling me in. You know, like I'm meeting all the, the right people who know all the right people, and there's a place where I can do it where there's a license and a still, and it's just like, there you I go. mean, all I have to do is say yes, and right, right. and I'm gonna do it. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna do it on a large scale, but I'm gonna see what comes of it, and if it's beautiful and delicious, and then I find a way to spend a couple months out of every winter in Hawaii making rum. I mean, (laughs) it doesn't sound too terrible, right?
0: It's brilliant. Are you kidding me?
3: Brilliant. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially with the, you know, like, but up in Washington, I mean, I do, I have animals and I have a farm and everything, but I also think God have an incredible crew. Um, And, you know, the winter isn't really time to do anything in a vineyard, Um, you know, you get the win the vineyard ready for winter you know you you dress it and love it and you know pull up anything that might spread bad stuff and you know you you set it all up and you put it to sleep um and then the animals it's kind of like through the winter we just make sure they're well fed we make sure they're you know the dogs are being interacted with as much as they need and you know they're livestock guardian dogs so they really don't require a terrible amount of out- attention outside of like making sure they're behaving and making sure they're fed and you know healthy you know and and it's just it, it's so strange how it, it is a possibility to do something like this um you know and do exactly what I want to do in Washington um but that is you know I, I always want to say like that's by luck but you know it's probably a combination of luck and you know a lot of hard work and thought So, you know, and finding the right people to work with, which is huge. Like,
1: Well, intelligent recognition, when you can see that vortex and it's dragging you in and you're just doing it, go for it. It sounds beautiful.
3: Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. You know, this is, it just, it feels very right. And I know that most people, if you drop them in Hawaii, they're like, oh, this feels right. (laughs) You know, but I think that there's just, there's so many things that interest me about, what's happening here, the climate, um, you know, like the climate as far as climate change, but also like where the world is right now. And there is an island in the middle of the ocean where I would say that well over 50% of the people who live here are actively trying to make it better, you know, for their children and doing that by farming and eating responsibly and shopping responsibly and whatnot it's a pretty big deal
1: brian how long were you there in hawaii
0: uh three years as we hear the trade winds in uh laura's um microphone i know isn't that nice
3: and all the nini the nini Mm -hmm. geese
0: yeah that's right (laughs) that's awesome
2: and so now, are, is it possible that you will be coming home in twenty twenty one with um with some rum in your suitcase?
3: Sorry, oh, did I freeze? I think I froze up.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering, is it possible that you'll be coming home? I don't know the process of making rum. Do you need to do some um, extensive barrel aging, or do you think you'll actually come no, home? No, with- I
3: think with I think I might come home because it's white rum because yeah. you don't. Like, I mean, you may need to let it settle for a lot. Like, I've never made rum before. i made spirits, Um it's, you know. It's just but, fire water. Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, you know, but if you're making cask strength, like, which, that's right. the straight shit. I mean, obviously you take the heads and the tails, but that's, um, I should have rum, hopefully, yeah. when I come back. That's cool. So.
2: All right, so you know, go ahead, Laura.
3: If you know any investors who are interested in a spirits company? Just let me know.
2: I think maybe George Clooney,
4: (laughs) or Fred (laughs) Roth.
2: Yeah, maybe um, um, Cameron Diaz. If it's a clean rum,
3: might be interested. (laughs) It is. I mean, that's but that's the thing. Is like you actually can do this. All of like you can create all of those things. I mean ethanol is fucking bad for you it's poison we all know that but like if you're going to drink ethanol you should at least make sure that like all of the other things that you can you know make sure are clean are clean like and i you know like at this point in my life i do my best not to drink wine that's farmed with glyphosate i refuse to eat non-organic wheat like i i think that avoiding all of those um you know, those poisons. in addition is really important, you know, for the environment and for our bodies. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think we all agree on that.
3: Good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 and so Laura, what is the plan for 2021? When you do come home, are you coming back to California or you're going um, back up to Washington?
3: Oh, I mean, I live in Washington now, so I'll be, I'll be there. But, um, I mean, I need to go to California to taste through everything, get ready for bottling and whatnot and meet with my cellar master and kind of go over where we are. And, yeah, yeah, where so are you
2: making your wines? If,
3: if, if rooms are cheap, I'll be at the Fairmont.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I have a feeling they will be for a while.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's a bummer um, they reshut down the, the, you guys reshut down the pools though, right?
2: The, the pools are still open, but then occupancy's I'm there. I'm there. okay, okay, good. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the room I, price uh, now, Brian?
2: I th- you know, th- the last thing that I saw was, you know, basically a buy one, get one free, and it was something like 200 bucks. So, yeah. you know, basically 100 bucks a night, I think, but you got to stay wow. two nights.
3: Yeah I mean and usually I'm there for at least a few nights but I just I love like I it and in in my heart I am like a 75 year old like finicky old man and I love that hotel (laughs) like because of that because it's just like the food is good the pools are nice the rooms are clean those La Labo products they just I like I never I never bring the um the toiletries home from any other hotel except for fairmont hotels <laughs> like, is that I love the way it the, the peach
1: so smelling cream that they have
3: no 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 no. it is rose scented Lolabo and it is just like oh i love it i love it it so was much.
2: john it was always so funny when i was working at the girl in the fig when people would walk in the door for their dinner reservations you know, i knew yeah. who was staying at the fairmont because you would smell yep. it
1: yeah, they did have it. We used to take it back down. But Joan would buy big jars and take it back to Chicago. Yeah. She loved That's it. That's hilarious. Yeah, Oh, it's good stuff. Yeah,
3: I, uh, I, I, whenever I'm staying there, people are always like, you smell so good. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
1: it's very it's wholesome. Amazing. Very wholesome. Yeah. Well, and you, ha- you <laughs> have a, a nice very spot. important sense of smell, too. You know, you base a lot of your reactions on, on smell.
3: Oh, for sure. Sure. Um well guys I um I just got waved at by my daughter's friend's mom who's I going to the pool that. right now and <laughs> yeah. like, I don't bring my daughter to the pool I am in deep shit. So I was
2: going to ask you um, what you, what the plan is for today.
3: I'm going to hit the pool. Uh yeah. I need to go get a covid test cuz I'm traveling and then I'm going to try and go snorkel with some turtles at uh at Hideaway Beach.
2: Nice. Have Sounds fun, like a good day guys. Enjoy.
1: <laughs> thank you yeah. so much, Laura. Really, what a All pleasure! Right. And,
3: and thank and, you, guys. And you know, I appreciate the time.
2: And Laura, just quickly, what is the what is the best way for people to to um, get some of your wines?
3: Oh, probably find it in a store um, or, you know, find it through a place that will ship it to you. I don't have any online sales set up right now. I just don't have time to deal with it. And no. Eventually, I'll hire somebody to help me do that stuff. But I just don't. I, I don't know. I don't I don't have it set up right now. So, uh, okay. you know, I had an online store for a while and I just found actually, you know what? Let me answer that like a good winemaker business person.
4: Okay. Sign up for
3: my mailing list.
4: (laughs)
2: There we go.
3: (laughs) Which I haven't sent out an email in probably two years, but eventually I will set up a wine club. That's kind of my 2021 goal. Okay. Um, you know, and just do small, you know, twice, twice a year offers. So.
2: Okay. And you can find her at Inconu Wine. I don't know if you're on any social media. Um,
3: I am on no social media.
2: Right. And it sounds like you're proud of it. Just like I'm I'm super proud of the fact that I've never seen a show about the Kardashians.
3: <laughs> oh, and neither I'm have with I. You, buddy.
2: It's it's one of it's yeah. one of my proudest things.
1: I'm with you there.
3: <laughs> yep.
2: Enjoy. I've yeah. never I've
3: never seen a Kardashian I am I'm with you. And I just social media, you know, I did it for a while reluctantly and begrudgedly. And I just can't think of anything really good that comes of it. You know, yeah. like you may make some sales, but you sacrifice your like happiness, and you know you sacrifice being authentic because there's nothing fucking authentic on there. People are just trying to sell shit to you. Um, and it it the the best marketers and salespeople in the world are working for Facebook and Instagram, convincing you that you need to be on there. Right. So <laughs> you, know, you you maybe won't be the coolest kid on the block, but you can have a perfectly functional business not be on the the grams. There you go. Oh, yeah.
1: All right. Cheers, everybody.
3: Yeah, Laura, mahalo awesome. for your kokua. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right. All right take care. Mr. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Have a good day. Cheers. Right. Bye.
3: You too. Bye bye.
2: All right. For you listeners out there, anyone that wants to check out some of our past episodes, hit up the Radio Misfits, backslash the winemakers. Any last uh, final thoughts, guys? Any shout outs you want to give?
1: Oh yeah, uh, I think a... she... <laughs> go ahead. I was gonna I- say you guys—you
2: yeah. guys can see why I love talking to Laura, right? Because um, she, she just, does all the talking. She I, she's just so passionate about wine, and, and when she talks when she talks about wine, it's like it's like poetry.
0: That's well, that's what I mean. I mean, you we'd ask her a question, and and she had a beautiful answer for every single one of them, yeah. um, and it just yeah yeah without a doubt without yeah. a doubt
2: answers um, everything honestly and with intention. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Although I do think she's missing a little bit of something on um, maybe leaving something on the table with not even like sending out a mailing list. (laughs) um, You know,
2: if sometimes that's a draw, Bart, sometimes people go, I love that kind of stuff. I, I like when um, I have to go find something. It's like part of the, part of the whole joy of it is the the adventure of, of finding something. It's like treasure hunting. So you know, if people are interested in her wines, they'll find a way to get them.
1: Yeah, yeah. If they know her yep. name, that's the deal. Yep.
2: Yeah. All right, guys, uh, be good. This is uh, uh, is this or is this not the last show of 2020? Uh, yeah. Right?
0: Yes. Yeah, you will hear this on. This will be released on uh, New Year's Day.
2: On oh, New Year's Day, so happy New Year's, yeah, everyone! That's
1: Friday, and yeah. then <laughs> I've got a show out on Saturday. Excellent. Good.
0: Pirate Radio. Have fun. All right. Um, Yeah, I guess
1: that's it. All right, guys. Have a safe holiday, guys. Be cool. Enjoy. Love you guys.
2: Look forward to talking to you next week.